So it is with great anticipation this morning, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 12. Wait till you hear my text this morning. Uh, you can give me lots of prayer. Um, I've entitled this sermon, No Complaining, No Arguing. All right. This is most certainly a word in season for us as South Africans. All right, let's read from verse 12. We'll pick up where Bryce took us last week. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do some things. Oh! Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Another translation, complaining or arguing. That, church, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Why? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast or holding forth the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain, or labor in vain. I want to remind us that this book of Philippians is helping us in two ways. The first is it's a model for the Christian or how the Christian can finish well. Paul is writing at the end of his life and he's saying, guys, we are to work out this great salvation. It is the greatest thing that has happened to you. Treat it as such. That's what he's saying. More than your job or your car or your promotion, you are born again, and this has set you on a trajectory for glory. Live like it, church. Live like it. But it's also a mirror of what a healthy church looks like. And, and today, I just have to lift up this mirror of this church at Philippi. It wasn't perfect. We, we know that there were some rivalries. There were some uh, dissensions, uh, quarreling. But when you look into her, she, generally speaking, is above reproach. And what we will see today is she is a remarkable community that looks very different to the world around her. And uh, church, I'll, I'll let you into the space of my heart. There were two scriptures when we decided to do Philippians, which I was extremely intimidated by. It's this one. Do all things without grumbling or questioning or, or arguing, complaining. And I have a, a living witness here that the Lord is still doing a great work in my life. And the other one is to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. These are the highest peaks of godliness. We will see why. And uh, I do not want you to walk away this morning saying this is only for the select few. This is for every believer. And this is the goal. This is the standard Christ is calling you to, church, for a reason much bigger than our own personal comforts. It's for the glory of his name. And uh, when I, I got to this text, 
I, I thought to myself, why, Lord? Why, after such a powerful statement of sanctification, which, remember, is the process of God making us more and more like His Son, why do you bring this text in? Why after? For it is God who is at work within you to will and to work according to His good pleasure. Why after that amazing statement do you say, oh, by the way, Philippians, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Oh, without complaining and arguing. Why? I mean, it seems a bit of a strange space to pick up from after such a glorious statement. And um, it leads me to my first point this morning. The reason why Paul says, do all things without complaining and arguing is because, please listen carefully, there are only two possible responses to God's work in your life. And, and I, I just want to push pause there for a moment. Church, do you believe that God is totally determined in your life to bring you into a place of looking more and more like Jesus? Do you believe that? Because it's a promise. It says, for the reason why we have a hope of change is not because of our effort or our sweat. We are working out our salvation because someone has given it to us. We're simply trying to unpack it. But even in that unpacking process of figuring, figuring out what it means to live for Jesus, there is a rock-solid promise to the believer this morning that it is God who promises to work in you. And Paul doesn't just leave it there. He says, don't you forget that it's according to his will. And, and does God have a powerful will? Hey? And, 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 and is God able to do mighty works? I mean, he's able to bring this creation out into being from nothing. He's saying, guys, remember that God has determined not to leave you the same in Jesus Christ. Can I just get a praise God for that? And that means he's going to work. You are guaranteed how you flow with him determines how he has to work. I mean, all good fathers and mothers here will know. If your children are compliant, it's a happy process of instruction, right? But when there is rebellion, you don't kick them out of the house. You change your tactics, not so. And friends, God can change his tactics powerfully in your life. But he refuses as, your, as, as a good father to take his hand off you as, your child, as a child of him. And, and, and that means, that means, I just want to point out from Bryce's sermon, I hope you can relax a little bit because this is the joy of the promise that God is working in you. It means that you don't lead the process of change in your life. I just want to say that again because when it dawned on me afresh, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because how many of you are very encouraged by your progress so far? Do you know? It means that if God is willing and working in you, it means that you are not in the driving seat. He is. And that requires a radically different way of orientating your life, friends. It is a method of response, not self-leadership. Sanctification is coming under the leadership of God, working in you by the Spirit. And day by day, you can believe that through all the general means of communication in your life, whether it's direct word from God or conversations or scripture, He's going to get at you. And all you need to do is be open to Him and to respond to Him with a heart desiring to please Him. And you'll be in better shape than what you were yesterday. That's the sanctification process. And friends, I have to just say, unfortunately, you can take it up with Jesus one day in heaven. The way he chooses to work in your life and to make you like Jesus is through discomfort. I will say it again because so few in the church are saying it today. 
Do you want to change for Jesus and be like him in your life? Anybody here want to be like that? Then you must accept the same training program that was good enough for the Son of God who was sinless. And friends, it is called suffering. My one friend put it so well. He calls it the sandpaper of life. If you want to get the edges off your character and if you want to become like this Jesus, so when people look at you, they won't see a perfect picture, but they will get a sense of there is someone else working in this person's life and I want him. It's going to come through the sandpaper of suffering, friends. And it was happening in the Philippians right before this chapter 2. What were uh, Paul's words? Uh, they are powerful. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 says this, For it has been granted to you, Philippians, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Here is a thought for the South African church today. Perhaps all of these ESCOM trials and pothole trials and, and, and government trials, perhaps it is God. Here is, we are not hearing this today. We want God to rescue us too quickly from discomfort. Perhaps it is God saying to the church of South Africa, I love you too much to leave you the same. And here is an opportunity in a twisted and crooked generation where the world is frustrated by things that are passing away. Sure, they affect us. But friends, if we are fixated as that being the biggest problem with our country, we're in trouble as a church. We are. We're in trouble. And here's the promise. If you want to become like Jesus, which is the very will of God for your life, the very predestined work of heaven, friends, you are going to have to embrace the testing of your faith. And, and too few people are saying this. Please listen carefully, church. When you switch on the radio, it is unhelpful. When you go into bookstores, it is unhelpful. Too few people are saying that the mark of God's grace upon the church is that she is allowed to be transformed through suffering, just like Christ was. Rather, what's being said is, you know what the mark of God's favor on your life is? Is everything going smoothly? What's being said out there, let me tell you, is not the Bible. What they are saying is this is, God is there to give you wealth, to give you health, to give you comfort and success. And the favor of God is if those things are operating in your life. Let me tell you, if you never need Jesus in trouble, you are not in good shape. And if you expect God to leave you as you are, which is what happens with comfort. Does anybody change by staying in comfort here? Let me tell you, the way you are to see God's work in your life is the way James says we should do it. Now remember, my, my, my opening point is there are only two possible ways that you can respond to God's work. And if you recognize, church, that God is not letting you stay the same by allowing discomfort into your life through whatever means, when you recognize that this is the fingerprint of God moving you forward, you can start to get excited about it, can't you? You can start to say, rather than me going, oh goodness, God is against me, you can start to see that the more I need to trust Jesus, the more I need to respond with a Christ-like character, not the flesh, the more I'm led to pray and seeking wisdom in Scripture, the more I'm being cast upon Christ and His likeness, the better shape I'm in. 
And if that's happening in your life today, let me tell you, South Africa is full of trials today. The first way that you can respond to God is for the person who's spiritually minded. You can start to get excited that God is not finished with you yet. And James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4 says, This is the root of joy for the Christian under trial. We count it all joy. Why, my brothers? Because when we meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You can't get the end without the beginning. And no Christian here would stand in the room and say, oh, we love suffering. No one. Right? But we can say we are grateful for a loving God that is working in us through suffering. And I just feel some of you have felt rejected by God because he's not answering your prayers. Because life seems harder than it was last year. Because in a sense there is a persisting frustration that life is not going the way you had hoped. Can I say to you this morning, what if God is working you into a corner that you might change? And what do you want more? Do you want a comfortable life and God leaves you as you are? Or do you want to be set up for recognition one day and for an act of service on earth? That's what Paul's interested in. He wants to see these Philippians be brought forth as lights in a, in a world of great darkness. Friends, if you want to be interested with what, in, with, with, with what God is doing in your life, then you need to flow with it. You need to bless it. You need to say, Lord, I'm all in. Even if I would have rather chosen the broad and easy way. Are you with me? So you can either get excited about what God is doing in you, and you should. That's what Paul is saying. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or, because God works through discomfort, you can complain. You can get defensive. You can become bitter. And which you choose will determine how far you go with Jesus. Why, my second point, we're going to look at the roots of complaining and arguing. Why? Why does Paul take complaining and arguing so seriously. If it was me, I would have chosen a few other things to say first. Maybe unbelief, maybe lovelessness, maybe hard-heartedness towards the Lord. But actually, he, gets, he hits the nail on the money by saying the root of complaining and arguing is really what he wants to look at. Why does Paul take complaining and arguing so seriously? Well, church, it is because you can be guaranteed 100% of the time that when you shift or start complaining or arguing, it is not the Spirit of God at work. I'll say it again. We can be 100% sure that whenever we fall into complaining or arguing, we are not in step with the Spirit of God we can know 100% he is grieved. He's grieved. Now, why can I say that this morning? And, and, and why would 
Paul be implying that? Well, the first is because the roots of complaining and arguing is the sin of self. It's the flesh that has moved into the operator's seat of us, not the spirit. Do you want to know what the roots of complaining is, church? And you and I know it well. Don't argue back. <laughs> it is self-pity, right? Self-pity. Why me, Lord? And the way the Greek, that you can translate it in multiple ways, is, is, is it can be mumbling or murmuring. You know when your boss comes into the office and asks you to do something, you complain when he leaves or she leaves. I can't believe she just asked me to do that. Do you know what they just said? Can you believe the municipality again? Da, 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 da. I mean, we know it so well. It's a form of mumbling and muttering, but it's because self is aggrieved. And the way, the reason why Paul includes uh, arguing is because <laughs> the root of arguing is self-defensiveness. And, and, and the two go beautifully hand in hand. Self-pity, which is also a form of pride, is, goes hand in hand with self-defensiveness. And, and it means here in the, in the Philippian church, they were fighting, they were bickering, they, they, they were not getting on very well together. And so what Paul says to these guys, don't just complain, but don't argue either. And the reason why arguing is so close to the sins of self is because you take up a position. You're angry. You, 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 and you refuse to climb down from that position. And so when people come and try and reason with you, you refuse because, no, I've been aggrieved. I'm right. You're wrong. And that's what we can be like with God. We can argue with God. We can say, I don't like what you're doing. I'm taking my position against what you're doing in my life, and, and I'm not moving. I'm right, God, you're wrong. Or if it's somebody else coming to you, I'm right, you're wrong. The two are beautifully twins of the sins of self. You with me so far? Make sense? Just give me a nod. Okay. You see, what I also want to make clear this morning is what, what complaining is not. That's very helpful. Are you saying, well, we, I can never say anything negative? Are you saying that I can never uh, have a, a difficult disagreement with someone or try and address a problem? No. The difference is this. God is totally fine with you in your life asking the questions of what he's doing, where he is, why these things are happening. God is fine with that as long as you couch those questions in the confidence of his character. You can say, why, Lord? Why? But you're not allowed to say, why me, Lord? Why me? Why is this happening just to me? And everybody else seems to be just fine. Why is this happening to me? Why, Lord? No, no that's different. That's different. That's personalizing what's happening in a fleshly way. Or maybe you, you need to have a conversation where you need to sort out something that's wrong. That's fine, as long as you can do it without self-pity and defensiveness. If you're in that state and you can have that tough conversation without those things present, you're in good shape to have it. But the difference with complaining is, is when you can't let go of the wrong that's been done to you. You with me? It's no longer about sorting the issue out. It's about making the person feel guilty for what they've done. Anybody know that experience? And so, friends, the reason why Paul talks about complaining 
and arguing in this text is because they are signs of the state of our hearts. Remember what Jesus said? He says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the moment we fall into complaining, the moment we take up our position and argue, it is a sign of bitterness in our hearts, of being aggrieved in a way that grieves the Spirit. And that's why Paul says, this is the yardstick that is such a good one to apply to your progress in becoming like Jesus. It's because what's coming out of your mouth is a great sign of what's taking place in your heart. And if you are willing to flow and trust God in what He's doing through the sandpaper of life, joy comes out, my friend, and natural rejoicing. It's not someone that's not inhuman. You know, it's not this, oh, God is good. It is a sense of confidence that is coming through, although there is trial. You have a sense of groundedness and hope and a sense of a, a future that is as prosperous and full of meaning. It's so different to coming out from a heart where it's bitter and negative and pessimistic. Friends, the two are great ways of seeing what's actually happening in your response to what God's doing in your life. You with me? So, I want to ask you today, what has been coming out of your mouth? It is a great way of God getting at us graciously this morning to ask where our hearts is. You see, if you are able to master this by the Spirit's help, you are a mature Christian. I'm, I'm going to say this tentatively this morning, but it's the truth. And I've been a part of this camp, so I'm not pointing the finger at anybody here. But if you listen to Christians who whine and complain, and I've been one of them, you'll notice they don't really grow. Ever thought about that? They never seem to move. They are totally fixated with what is not going their way. Friends, can I call you today to what Paul is? To start to adopt a mature mindset about what God is doing in your life. And it is a radical reorientation. Immaturity in the Christian life is like a baby who is only interested in how its needs are being met. If you have mothered or fathered a child, you will know that baby does not care. If it's three in the morning or half past 11, if it's hungry, the world will know about it. Not so. You know how I knew my Elijah had switched from being a toddler was the day I called him. I was overseas. It was a video call. And for the first time in my life, after I asked him the question, my boy, how was your day? And he told me these long, rather fantastical stories about what my, they did with, with Marina. He stopped and he asked me, he said, how was your day, Daddy? And then he listened whilst I told him. He said, oh, that's so good. I knew in that second he was no longer a toddler because he had moved from being totally fixated about himself to being aware of others. And friends, that's my third point today. If we're going to be a church that is a mirror of what God wants us to be, and if we're going to be any different to the world around us, we must be motivated by something different. Please hear me this morning. If you are motivated in God merely to get somewhere, to get out of something, merely to get something from Him, in other words, your sole reason for, for being a faithful Christian is He's your insurance against pain. Friends, that's exactly how the world lives. They've got policy after policy after policy to protect themselves from any trouble. 
And friends, if we are going to go after what the world wants so much in this world, we're not going to look any different to them. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Ah, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Paul said in Acts chapter 14, it's through many hardships you're going to enter into experiencing the kingdom. A student is not above his master. If Christ suffered and was received glory because of it, how much more his followers? But you see, it's not so much the suffering that we're interested in, it's the process of maturing. And friends, the maturing aspect of suffering is to cast your eyes upon trusting another and to lean into what he is like. And the more we become like this Jesus that is leading us, the radically, a, a radical change takes place in the shape of his church. And it's a, it, it's a change that, that we need in this day and age. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, this is the point of what God is doing through the sandpaper of life, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth, that's a better Greek, you can do both, but it's, it's leaning towards holding forth the word of life. Friends, the reason why God will not leave you the way you are is not just merely for your own good, but because he's appointed you to be his ambassador to a world that thinks totally different to Jesus. Can I just say a few things before closing with my final point? Do you think the world thinks like Jesus? Do you know what Jesus did? He left his throne of glory, gave it all up to become a doulos, a bond slave, a servant to a people that didn't even like him. Do you think that's the way the world thinks today? You're going to have to answer more than the, quicker than this, otherwise we're going to be here all day. Uh, do you think that's the way the world, the world thinks? Is that how we think? Is that God is designed to get us to be number one? Friends, do you know what he says about this church? Why don't you go back one period? She's on the, on the money this morning. Go back one. There we go. Do you know the kind of community that, that we're called to be? It is the absence of obsession with self. Look at this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, those implications means that when you walk into this building, you're aware of the people around you who need encouraging. You're aware that, that, that people are hurting and needing comforts. Is there any participation in the Spirit? That means you're coming ready to partner with what God is doing. You're not coming back and just sitting about it like a little baby saying, how are my needs going to be met this morning? And if they're not met, I'm leaving. That's how we think. And, and in Islam, it's the worst. We tend to hop from one church to the other, never putting down roots, never being willing to suffer the storms of, of, of other people's trials and bearing one another's burdens with love. What we do is we think only about how this space can serve what I need to cram into my life. And what happens is we refuse to partner with what God is doing. Do you know what God is doing, church? He's making you more like Jesus. Do you know how Jesus lived? He lived for you. He lifted you up. When you trod him down, when we use him, he loves us. When we curse him, he blesses us. When, when, we, when we ignore him, he goes after us. Friends, that's the kind of people and the kind of church that he's building. And if the world could see that here, they will go, wow. Wow. And what I'm worried about is if we are going to go, I got an amen there. If we are, go, if we, if we are going to be of 
Okay, let's just hear my hearts. Let's hear my hearts because this is what's, what I've... If we are going to be any use to Jesus, do you want Sterling to be useful to the glory of Jesus Christ? Are you sure? Because if you are, he's interested in us becoming very aware of what he's like and then seeking to be like it with all of our hearts. I'll go a step further. I'm being very bold this morning. And this was not planned, but it's from the Lord. In our city, you can have these great conferences where there's these great supernatural things that happen. But let me tell you what God is interested in. It's not the smoke and the glory and the shaking of buildings. He wants to see a people transformed into the likeness of his son. He wants to see us grow from one degree of glory to the next. And you can't get that from one conference, my friend. You can only get it from daily yielding to a God who loved you with the body and blood of his own son. And if you are going to be anything in heaven, friends, you must think like Jesus on earth. When we face suffering, we come to a God who has bled and died for us. He knows what we need. He's been familiar with all of our difficulties. We're not coming to a dispassionate God. We're coming to a God who knows what we need. But he knows. He knows this. What he knows that we need is different to what we think we need. And part of changing the sanctification is him moving you off the milk onto the meat. And you know what the meat is? Is when you face the areas of your life that discredit him and without falling to pieces, standing up and saying, Jesus, for your name's sake, I want to change. That's glorious Christianity. That's glorious Christianity. Can we just make a commitment here today? To not be the people around the briars that sound just like the world around us. Can we make a commitment today, rather than to complain, to pray to a God of heaven and earth, not only to change the nation, but to change us? To change us. And the reason why I feel so strongly this morning is because we don't know how much time we have left. I will say it again. You know, Week by week, I stand here, and the thought comes to me, this could be the last time we get to do this before we're in glory. And what I worry about is we come week by week, and it's a good thing, faithfulness is a good thing, but familiarity is not. As we listen to the word, and the, the guy, he puts in all this effort, and people come and share, but we walk away kind of bored, kind of just going, you know, the love and passion I knew at first that when Christ saved me and I saw what it was to be rescued from my sin, it gripped my life. The greatest thing that happened to me, all of a sudden, what I worry about is what was so clear to us just a few, maybe years ago, maybe decades ago. For us, it's just become like this thing of, this is what we do. And the world is watching and when we don't give ourselves to what Christ is like, we look no different. And they're right to judge us. They're right to say, you guys say these things, but when you're really down to life and what, what you grumble about and complain about, it's exactly the same. May God not leave us the same. Might we have a passion to flow 
with what this Jesus is interested in, which is to make us look like him day by day. Might our hearts, instead of grumbling and, and fault-finding in God, we do that. We point the finger. Might we humbly come down before him and say, Jesus, I want what you want for me. I want what you want for me, which is to change me. Not, not into the likeness of this world, but into the likeness of a God who bled and died for me. Some of us have been cold for too long. Confused for too long. You can bank on this today, that the Lord is working to make you look like Jesus. Flow with him. And, 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 and I just want to close with a few statements. The fourth point is, is a pathway to change. I know the words have been strong this morning. I understand that. But I believe God's been in them. <laughs> And the wrong response is to, to go, oh my goodness, look at me. I'm just a puddle of, of, of patheticness on the floor. I want you to remember something when you leave here and never forget it. It does not matter how you feel about your performance today. Maybe the Spirit of God has gotten very close to your heart and pointed out things which shouldn't be there. It doesn't, I can tell you now, coming to, to preach here this morning in my own life, I have blown it multiple times this week. And the pressure of knowing I'm going to preach on a text that I model so poorly to people who are here who know me. Can I say to you, it is intimidating, but it also can be demoralizing. But Philippians will not let you go there, ever. Can you say this with me? It does not matter how I feel. It does not matter how I'm doing. God is still at work in me. Say it one more time. It does not matter how I feel. It does not matter how well I'm doing. God is still at work in me. That is what you must believe at your best and at your worst. For it is God, my friends. And today, this, this is his mercy. This is not him being mean. This is him waking up saying, hey, I love you, my boy, my girl. Man, I love you. This is a word from heaven picked for you that you might prosper and flourish in what I have for you. It's not what it looks like in the world. But friends, today, this is what life is like. The joy of becoming like Jesus and feeling the pleasure of the Father saying, well done, backing you as you face your own fallenness. Friends, let me tell you, there is something that we must believe before we do anything. It is believing Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 that it does not matter how badly I've done it. God is not finished. He's going to work and praise God. I pick myself up. I don't get full of self-pity. I don't get full of shame. I don't come under condemnation. I come under the blood of Jesus. I come under the promise of his word that he is going to work in me. And so I get up. You know, there's a song. The lyrics aren't all good, but there's two great lines. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. You know that song? Please don't sing the rest of the lines. Okay? I didn't realize there was anyone. So it's a, it's a recording. I get knocked down, 
but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. You rejoice that you have a righteousness that is not attached to your performance. And no matter what, you might have made the worst mistake just coming in today. You might have made a mistake in your marriage. You might have gone, I've, even, I've done the most heinous thing. And, and does God even, is he still even going to work in me? Yes, he's going to work, my friends. Because he started the good work in you. And he's going to be faithful to complete it. And so that's it. You believe something before you do anything. The second thing is you remain totally open to the Lord's promised help. I've simply put dependency. If God is working and He's leading, all He's requiring of you is a soft and committed heart. In other words, you, you, you are saying today, Lord, would you just help me? Uh, if, if my life's in my hands, it's a disaster. I'm living proof of it. If, if I take hold of this thing and control my own self by my sweat, let me tell you, Lord, I've been there, done that, don't ever want to go there. It's a disaster. But Lord, today... Today, I come under the promise of your helpful spirit that you will not withhold anything that I need to please you. Today, Lord, make me yours. Just in, in, in my, my behavior, I, I want to be like you. You, you tell him, you, you, you pass yourself, and throughout the day, this is the great gift of, of my pastor. He, he taught me over and over. He says, Matthew, faith is not just a moment. It is throughout the day being willing to be led by Jesus who loves you. He loves you and you, he'll come at your conscience. He'll come at you multiple ways. But as you are getting into the space of wanting to complain or, or, or the, the minutia of life, he's there. You catch yourself saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do here? Am I thinking, is it what I'm thinking right? Help me. You, 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 you make yourself dependent. And, and thirdly, is you just adopt a simplicity of purpose. You, you, that word, I'm sorry, that's a typo. Blamelessness, is, the Greek is for pure. That you might be blameless and pure. It's the next, next word after that. Can we just be about one thing, church? You know what I'd love to hear on your lips and mine? Is how we're going in Jesus. <laughs> can, we, can we, rather than doing anything, these other things like, you know, oh man, you know what the world's after. Can we just be motivating and talking about the major thing in our lives, which is becoming like Christ? Become simple. Become simple about what you're after in life. That's what pure means, is adopt a daily sense of purpose that today, more than me succeeding in my business or my family, or, is I want to grow in becoming like Jesus. Dealing with difficult customers. Dealing with difficult kids. Dealing with difficult church members. Lord, make me like you. And I mean that both ways. It was watch and pray. You know, Matthew Henry hit home big time. I'm, I started reading his book called The Method of Prayer. It's brilliant. It's a long read. But he makes this opening statement. He said, It is certain that those who live without prayer live without God in this world. And if you think that you're going to get by without talking to Jesus a lot, you're in trouble, my friends. You watch and you pray. If complaining and arguing flow from a bitter heart, what you've got to watch is what's happening in here very carefully before you pray. Throughout the day, my next point is you you pray for God to guard your mouth. That's what the psalmist says. Such a wise prayer. I have heard too many people this way. 
that you pray, God, put a guard over my mouth. You know, the way that you reign in your heart is you reign in your mouth. That's how you do it. If you let your mouth just go, your heart is unrestrained. Your heart eggs on your words, but when you restrain your words, you bring your heart under control. And then lastly, is please read your Bible. Read your Bible. If there is one medicine that is helpful for a selfish soul, it is reading this God-centered book. It rescues you. It gives you another way of seeing your life and the world around you. You start realizing this life is not merely about me. It's about the God of glory who made me. And when you connect into his purposes and perspectives of your life, friends, you start entering into the abundant life that Jesus spoke of. Is this possible to do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing? Yes. Yes. For it is God. It is God who has at work within you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this hope that you are not finished yet. But I do pray for victories. I do pray, Lord, that as we leave this place this morning, we will be motivated to change. Understanding is not enough, Lord. Transformation is the right outworking of truth. And I just pray for a passion to be ignited again here. That, Lord, there would be a passion to live for the one we're going to meet one day, face to face. Lord, where the sandpaper has been extra rough, Lord, you get different grades. I just pray, would there be grace to, for some of the deepest and best work is done through the toughest and most difficult pain. Lord, I pray today that we would not tap out from the grace of God that is willing to lead us through triumphantly if we would embrace the carpenter's hands. Come, Lord. I pray that where we've grown cold, would you stir up a desire again to live for what ultimately matters. So thankful, Lord, you're not finished yet. So grateful. Amen.